0: Alright, uh, last week, the death and burial of Sarah, just the first two verses about her death and her age and where she is, and so she needs to be buried, and Abraham is weeping over her, and the, the Hebrew words here are indicative of a deep, deep, heartfelt weeping, not a any surface thing, it's really um, deep mourning on the part of Abraham, as you might As you might guess, they've been married for over 100 years. It's amazing. How many of you have been married for over 60 years? Raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody over 70? Not yet? You're getting there? All right. That's great. Chapter 23, verse 3. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I'm a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Doesn't that sound so generous? Don't be fooled. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron, the Hittite, was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Wow, Ephron, what a generous man. Mm, Not so fast. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will, I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered, answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Okay, now we're getting down to brass tacks. Okay. Or should we say silver shekels? Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants, which, by the way, as I've read a number of commentaries on this passage is very expensive. That's all I know. I don't know how to translate it into modern dollars, but they all agreed: very expensive uh, price that Ephron got for his cave and his land. And Abraham's a very wise, very wise man in insisting that he pay for what he's going to use. And I think Abraham also knew the Hittites among which he lived, they're pagan people. And he knew that they were expecting money, that their words of generosity weren't necessarily sincere. But even if they had been sincere and he got the cave for nothing, what would keep them then from coming back later and saying, you didn't pay for that. We're taking it back over. So Abraham's a pretty wise man. He does all this very publicly. There are lots of people in the city gate list, so nobody can can say this was done in secret. It's been done out in the open. Everybody knew it. And it's recorded, of course, in the scripture. <clears throat> so let's think about this passage for just a moment. Abraham is requesting a burial place. He is so sure that his descendants are going to get this land that he wanted Sarah's bones to be there when the time comes that the land is fully theirs. So again, Abraham's exhibiting his fate. This land is not yet his. But he knows God has said it will be, so I want my wife buried here. And he knew that if she's buried there, he would also be buried there. So he wants this plot of land because someday it's all going to be his descendant's land. Sarah's bones are then placed in the cave. And Abraham, in the purchasing of these this cave, is really prophesying about the future ownership of the land. Now, Hebrews has been very helpful to us in understanding what we've been reading here in Genesis. So let me refer to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. By faith, he, that is Abraham, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward this, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. We are also looking forward to that city. In, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So Abraham had an unflinching faith. Hebrews describes that unflinching faith. We who are followers of Christ also have an unflinching faith in what lies before us and the fact that there is a place even now being prepared for us in heaven by Jesus who said, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also." And we believe unflinchingly in that, and that is part of our great hope for the future. So we see in Abraham a declaration, this land is going to be all ours, I want a burial place for my wife and for myself, and he he bought it that day. The Hittites are dominant in the land at that time. So Abraham requests the burial site, burial place, very respectfully. The Hittites sound noble, but don't be fooled. They have no intention of giving away the cave. They go, they do acknowledge Abraham's position. They acknowledge his strength and they acknowledge his wealth. And Abraham secures a burial site, Ephron's cave at Machpelah. Now, notice the courtesy of Abraham, bowing before the Hittites and being very gracious in his dealings with Ephron. Ephron has more in mind than just being nice. Uh, All Abraham asked for was the cave. But Ephron gave him not only the cave, or sold him not only the cave, but the land adjacent to it. And Abraham pays the price, which is apparently a high price, and he knows ultimately this is all going to be ours anyway. His descendants will own this land. So Abraham does all of this quite publicly so that there will be no questions, no disputing, no well, he said this and we said that and we agreed to this and whatever. It's all very public, seen by lots of people, no dispute at what took place. And it's happening in the gate of the city which, as you know, we've talked before, that is the gathering place of the leaders of a city, the gate of the city. That's where business of the city is transacted. So the payment is made, and wise is Abraham, demonstrating his wisdom once again in the way that he did this. So let's look at verses 17 through 20, and we'll see that Sarah is buried. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre. Both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded. So that means it went into writing. Deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron. We talked about Hebron last week in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. So, from this point on, the cave becomes a depository for the bones of the patriarchs. Abraham is staking a claim to the promise that God has made. Machpelah in Hebron became a monument To Abraham's faith in God's promise. By faith, Abraham believed God's promise that his descendants would inherit the land. By faith, Abraham sojourned in the land for almost a century, living as one to whom it would belong. By faith, Abraham purchased the cave at Machpelah in Hebron. By faith, Abraham buried Sarah in the cave at Hebron. By faith, Jacob, uh, by faith, Isaac buried Abraham with Sarah at Hebron. And by faith, Jacob buried his father Isaac at Hebron. By faith, while in Egypt, Jacob charged his sons to bury him in Hebron. And by faith, as the very last lines in Genesis record, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, And you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. By faith, Moses, 430 years later at the Exodus, took Joseph's bones up out of Egypt and then for 40 years carried them around in the wilderness as the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And then by faith... When Joshua conquered the promised land, he buried Joseph's body in fulfillment of the same principle in a plot of land earlier purchased by Joseph's father, Jacob. Hebron is a place well known in scripture. Cave of Machpelah, for one thing, Hebron is the place visited by the two spies, Caleb and Joshua. Numbers 13, verses 21 and 22. After which, Joseph, Joshua, and Caleb declared that the land can be taken. Do you remember Caleb and Joshua? Twelve spies spy out the land, bring us back a report. They spy out the land. They bring back a report to Joshua and the people. Ten of the spies say, can't be done, we can't do it, we're not strong enough, they're too big, they're too strong, we can't take the land, we just can't do it. But there were two men who said, what do you mean? Yes, we can do it. Caleb and Joshua, who had gone to Hebron and spied it out, and they come back and they say... We can do it because God is with us and God has promised that this land will be ours. So do not hesitate. Do not falter. Do not be afraid. We can do it. God is with us. And they did it because God was with them. I love, I should have brought you my olive wood carving today. I have for why I forgot that Hollywood so, carding carving of Joshua and Caleb as they come back from spying out the promised land they've got a pole with these enormous grapes on it and they so that's that's in my office I have another one at home that really I gave to my son but you know like some people inherit baseball cards we inherited olive wood carving <laughs> so um, the national symbol for is Israel's tourism department is Caleb and Joshua carrying the pole with the grapes on them. You'll see that all over Israel, you see it on the side of buses, you see it on the side of taxi cabs, all over the country, Caleb and Joshua. So it would be hard for any Israeli not to know that story. I, mean, I think almost impossible for any Israeli not to know the story of Caleb and Joshua. So that happened in Hebron. Ultimately, David will be anointed king in Hebron. Second Kings, uh, Second Samuel chapter two, verses three and four. David is anointed king at Hebron. The bones of the patriarchs call out from the cave at Machpelah. This land is our land. Today, a mosque, not surprisingly, A mosque has been built over the cave, constructed in 1200-ish A.D. And so it can be visited, but no archaeology is allowed. And that's a treasure trove waiting somewhere in there, but can't be. No archaeology can be done in the cave of Matpila at the present time. You can go to Hebron. And you can see the mosque surrounding the cave. Occasionally, the Palestinians will allow um, tourists to go in. Um, most of the time, not. So it's there. I'd like to see it sometime. I've seen the outside. I've seen the mosque, but I haven't been in. I'd like to do that sometime. I'll just have to settle maybe for video when I get to heaven. Something like that. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 13 through 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Talking about the patriarchs. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left... They would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. As believers, we are a people of hope. And we can declare with Job what he declared from the book that bears his name in Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. We can declare the same thing. And finally, before we go to the next chapter, from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We have a great hope as as Christians. A great hope in Jesus Christ. I uh, did a funeral this morning. You, I've done hundreds and hundreds of funerals in my ministry. Um, I, I will tell you that The difference between a service for a believer and an unbeliever is like night and day. Absolutely like night and day. Our hope is in Christ. We have a living hope. And though there may be a body in a coffin in front of us, we know that the person who once occupied that body is not there anymore. He or she is in the presence of the Lord. We will see them again. And there will be a great day coming. A day of resurrection. Body and soul reunited in the presence of God. And so let's go back and do Revelation all over again. But what a great hope we have as followers of Christ. Okay, now, let's uh, so that we're not still in the 24th chapter when Jesus comes again, let's go ahead and, and see how far we can get. I think we can get through maybe the first nine verses of chapter 24. So uh, Abraham has just bought the cave. He's buried his wife. And now, chapter 24, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now, where was Abraham from? Mesopotamia? Yeah, that's, that's the land he's talking about. The servant asked him, Well, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure. Abraham said, make sure that you do not take my son back from here. In fact, here's a little tidbit of history. Isaac never left the land that was promised. Never left it. Abraham did. Jacob would. Isaac never left the land. Abraham didn't want him to leave. He wanted him to stay right there. In Abraham's mind, he could probably envision all kinds of horrific things happening I want Isaac to stay here don't you take him back to Mesopotamia to find a wife make sure that you do not take my son back there abraham said verse 7 the lord the god of heaven who brought you or who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath saying to your offspring i will give this land he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. So Abraham wants Isaac to marry. After all, the promise needs to continue through Isaac. So he needs to marry and have children. He wants a woman from his own native land, northwest Mesopotamia, which would be Iraq today, she cannot be a Canaanite. Uh, pretty good reason for that. We've talked about the Canaanites, uh, the Ites, all the Ites. I mean, they were ooh, they were they were a mess. They were low life, uh, immoral, godless. Every reason in the world for Abraham not to want. His son to marry one of those Canaanites. And and he said to his servant, don't let him marry a Canaanite. You can't take Isaac out of the land. You can't take him back to Ur of the Chaldees where I came from. Isaac is the person of the divine promise. He must stay here. So Abraham's faith is shining because he believes God has everything orchestrated for his glory and keeping the promises. So he's saying, you know, an angel is going to go before you. And you're going to know who it is. And it's going to all work out. You just go and do what God tells you to do. So he's relying on the providence of God. The servant will meet the woman in the ordinary circumstances of life. It's going to be at a well. So the woman comes, drawing water from the well. And just that happened every day. Just an ordinary event. Like... Uh, you might wash your clothes or wash dishes or whatever it might be ordinary. This is just an ordinary event in, in her day. J.I. Packer said, believers are never in the grip of blind forces like fortune or luck or chance or fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey and rejoice. So watch God work. All of life is a miracle. All of it is a miracle. And God is over it all, and he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-controlling. And so there's an oath here that he asks the servant to make. And this ritual we don't fully understand. putting his hand under the thigh. It, it may be uh, several commentaries said it was uh, near to the reproductive organ, and it meant symbolically something along the line of the children that would come. I, I, I I would have no way of understanding that. But, but I, do, I do know this was deadly serious in the eyes of Abraham. And he is getting his chief servant, the one he trusted the most, to make this pledge. That he would go on oath and get a wife for Isaac. Um, that the child of promise will marry the right woman chosen by God. So, we see the servant's faith, beginning in verse 10, and I think maybe we can scooch a little of that in. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he, then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, Please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, Drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. Remember, we read about her in the last chapter. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. And the servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, and here's the fulfillment of the prayer that the servant had made, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. How many camels were there? Ten. How much water can a camel drink? Rebecca made a lot of trips down into the well. The well would have been like a hole in the ground with stairs on the side of the well, curving around the side down to the bottom to the water level where she could pull it out with a jar. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten she- shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, bore, Milca bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the Middle Eastern hospitality again. Then, then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Now, I wonder what Rebecca was thinking as he bows down, and she's already seen the bling that he, that he brought with him. So notice how God orchestrates this entire event. There is a prayer of faith. The servant asks for divine guidance in, the, in an ordinary place, a well, just the place of everyday life. And notice the answer that he receives to his prayer. It's an ancient well, deep hole in the earth, steps on the side, hugging the wall. I want you to notice the effort. Now, I'm just going to, I, I'm not saying how many times Rebecca went down. The stairs? I don't know. I really don't know. However, what I do know is that on average a camel will drink twenty five gallons of water at a at a time. Her jar would have been a three gallon jar. That's pretty big. You want to carry three gallons up and down the stairs? Ten camels. So if they all drank to their maximum, that would have been 250 gallons. Three gallons a trip, 83 trips. Now, I'm I'm not saying that she really made 83 trips down. Maybe she did. But she made more than one. She made a bunch of trips down. Brought water back for the camels to drink as well as for the servant. And he watched without a word. Now, the men in the room are saying, well, (coughs) I would have helped her. Uh, not in those days you wouldn't have that's her job and he's just watching without a word then he revealed some of the stuff that he brought with him invited himself to stay at her parents home for the night and then he worships God so that's where we're going to stop I find the hospitality fascinating she didn't know anything about him but sure, come on home. We've got plenty of straw. Mom and Dad will be glad to house you. Would you do that, stranger that you meet at a restaurant? And, and yeah, come on home with us. Well, Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But here we go. So what happens from here? Well, you know the end of the story because you know the name Rebecca. But how do we get from where we are to the marriage ceremony? We're going to read that next week. And then we will continue on to read about the death of Abraham. Father, thank you for your goodness. You are so gracious to us. We love you. We adore you. May we be your faithful servants today in all things. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. See you next week.